The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Positively Trek podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Dan Gunther, and with me this week is the wonderful Barry DeFord. Barry, how's it going? Oh, it's going pretty well in, in, old, in old Barry town, I gotta say. it's uh, It's been good watching some, uh, uh, what I would say, some delightful uh, finales of the uh, Star Trek Lower Decks season, and I'm really excited with, all, with some of the news that uh, we get to talk about today. Yeah, absolutely. So th- that's our main discussion in this episode, of course, is wrapping up season four of Star Trek Lower Decks. So if you haven't watched those episodes, what are you doing? Go, go watch them. Yeah. <laughs> By all means, they're so good. You know, even people out there who haven't given Lower Decks a chance, I really think you need to give it a chance and watch it because this past season has been really good. We're going to be talking about the season as a whole, but the last two episodes in particular as well. And uh, some of our thoughts and hopes going into season five, which will hopefully come someday. Yeah, (laughs) someday. Well, before we get to that discussion, though, we do have news to talk about. And I kind of combed the internet for news this week for Star Trek and there wasn't a ton but there's one big news story that obviously we have to talk about because yes Star Trek Prodigy is once again nominated for an Emmy Award so this is in the second annual Children's and Family Emmy Awards that are uh, coming up right away here. And this year, Star Trek Prodigy is nominated for Outstanding Mixing and Sound Editing for an Animated Program. You know, a technical Emmy, but Star Trek excels at the technical Emmys, right? And any recognition Star Trek Prodigy is getting, I think that's awesome. Uh, Last year, they were nominated as well for Individual Achievement in Animation, uh, one of the jury awards. So, you know, they've, they've got this pedigree of nominations behind them and some really amazing technical stuff paramount why you be dumb anyway sorry (laughs) i was uh, while you were telling the lovely uh lovely listeners and of course this is an audio medium you can see my cup of tea that i sipped the entire way through uh you telling me all of that because uh a la kermit the frog absolutely you know (laughs) Uh, just an Emmy Award winning uh, TV show must be canceled immediately because clearly it's not going to be profitable. Um, mm-hmm. No, I'm 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 happy that uh, that Prodigy also gets this recognition. It is extremely well deserved, and uh, honestly, 
more of that to come, thankfully, and hopefully more beyond that as well, because this is a family show. It will get kids into Star Trek, which I think is really great because Star Trek is fun and it's uh, it's neat and cool and they can make it their own too, right? They can do their own thing with the franchises, I think is sort of really taking form um, since we've had the, the, the switch over to what is what is affectionately and unaffectionately referred to as new trek i don't know how do you feel about that term dan i mean i i don't mind it i think it's something that maybe some people mean in the pejorative but uh yeah i don't uh new trek kurtzman era trek i don't know some people also think that attaching the name kurtzman to something is automatically an insult which i absolutely do not subscribe to yeah i don't know uh, i don't know it's bigger it's bigger than all of that so yeah i mean there's Mm -hmm. been there's been some writers who've come and gone in in every iteration of star trek that i have and haven't liked i guess you could say like i guess for me michael pillar will always be the pillar (laughs) i guess you could say Mm -hmm. but at, at the same time i mean I even liked some of Akiva Goldsman's stuff, and that wasn't always my flavor. Yeah, that's something that surprises me as well. How much I've liked some of his stuff in that. Uh, historically, he has no, he hasn't really been my favorite, but sometimes when I look at his credits, I go, "Oh wait, he did that." So there's surprises in every writer's pedigree. I think I did also want to touch on a little bit of the news that I mentioned in last week's episode. So, Barry, had you heard about this, the the three-foot model, the original uh, wood model of the USS Enterprise being discovered uh, in the last couple weeks there? Um, no, sadly, most of my uh, my social media has been uh, the, the terif- terrifyingly and terrible uh, uh, conflict uh, genocide taking place in Palestine. Um, of course, but yeah. uh, not to not to put the damper in that respect. Um, definitely, if you're keeping up, that's wonderful. But no, I've missed that. What they found the so we're talking like the original Matt Jeffries design. Yeah, so this is the the three foot model that you might see in uh, some of the publicity photos where Shatner's holding it and Nimoy's holding it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I gotcha. Yeah, and it was on Roddenberry's desk for years after that. Now. Various accounts have it being stolen or uh, him lending it out for reference purposes when they were doing the motion picture and never getting it back. But suffice to say, it's been missing since the late 1970s. And by all accounts, not completely 100% verified, but definitely given most of the nod by several Trek experts such as Gary Kerr, it showed up in an eBay auction just a little over a week ago. So that was a shocking piece of news that I just had to talk a little bit about last week. Now, no big update on that as of yet. The The auction, as I mentioned in last week's uh, roundup, was pulled very quickly. There'd been a few bids for it but it disappeared presumably somebody let this guy know what it was he had according to him the story was he bought the contents of a storage locker and was selling pieces off as he went through it and this happened to be one in there that he said he did not realize had that provenance now the most recent thing i've seen is rod roddenberry Uh, tweeting that he has not yet heard from the individual or anybody connected to this model or this auction, but he still hopes to sometime soon. Now, the model was in the possession of his father, Gene Roddenberry, when it 
disappeared or went missing, yada, yada. So hopefully somebody does contact the Ruddenberry Jr. Uh, about this issue. So kind of keeping my ear to the ground on this one because it's a really interesting story I've been following. That is. I mean, I kind of want to see if we can follow the trail of rice of who mm-hmm. owned the storage locker and how it might have made it there. And, and you know, you think about all the intrigue in Hollywood studios and it is something of a, wow, I, I would like to continue sleuthing this. So thanks for letting me know, Dan. I'm going to see if I can get some inside tracks on that too. Cool. All right. Well, let's take a quick break there. And when we come back, we're going to talk Star Trek Lower Decks season four. <laughs> Thank you so much for downloading this episode of Positively Trek. We truly do appreciate each and every one of our listeners, and I'd like to especially thank our Patreon supporters. Thank you to our Constitution Class supporters, Jim Stoffel, Joyce Marin, and Paul D. Kinnear. If you'd like to become a supporter of Positively Trek and join our crew, please go to patreon.com slash positivelytrek. You can get early access to episodes, exclusive content, shoutouts, associate producer credits, ad-free episodes and more again that's patreon.com slash positively trek thank you all and live long and prosper so last time we spoke about lower decks we had talked about the entire series with the exception of the last two episodes so i think it's kind of nice uh, we'll be able to tie up that discussion talk about these final two episodes and the season as a whole so let's start with episode nine of season four the inner fight, which, first of all, carrying on the tradition of the amazing episode titles this season. Nice little callback. Nothing to do with the inner light or anything like that. Just a nice little play on words. <laughs> it was a a good sort of penultimate episode in a lot of ways, too. You can kind of feel the, the, the amping up all the way through it. Um, one of my favorite little pieces and you and I brought this up because we watched this one together Dan Um, Mm -hmm. that was great was the confirmation of Thomas Riker um, being around about and out and out in the and you know out in the universe still it's kind of neat absolutely and that was really fun because like on paper Thomas Riker feels to me like a character that lower decks would just run with right yeah so confirmation that he's out there somewhere I feel like I could be wrong about this, but I, you know, you know, Jonathan Frakes is up for doing this kind of stuff. Let's bring back Tom Riker in season five. Come on. Right. I mean, and obviously spoiler alert, you know, like Nick Locarno's a planet now, so (laughs) (laughs) we can, we can do whatever we want. I mean, um, Thomas Riker knows some people who are parts of rocks uh, and stuff and parts of the ship. (laughs) Um, So I don't know. There's a lot they can do with this. And um I've I've really started to kind of embrace some of their use of canon. For a while there, I was worried it was going to get um, tiresome, but uh, this season was just so well-paced and well-put-together. And this one as well. I mean, like, there's even some stuff that I wasn't even fully aware of, like the Jipper is apparently a thing from a short trek. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Oh, what does Mud say? Shoot. If I had any money, I'd be sipping Jippers on a beach somewhere. I I love it. I love the little callbacks. You know, they're they're fun. They're a little bit of icing on the cake. But when the stories are this well told and this meaningful, I feel like 
go ahead, ice that cake. I'm for I'm here for it. And I think that's it is is they're able to not make it like completely a thing. Like they, they even kind of do that sort of turnaround. It's the guy who offers everyone Tranya, um, that evil mm, alien. Baylock. Yeah, yeah. Baylock there. That it's that when I was a kid and I saw that actual episode, that scared me. Like that really did mm-hmm. actually scare me at first. Um, but this time around that it's got like a heartbeat and all this sort of stuff. It was very funny. He's all he's got all kinds of internal organs. Yeah, all kinds of internal <laughs> organs. Yeah. I love that. Even once they reveal that he's a flesh and blood being, he still like sparks and smokes and his arm comes out and it's like yeah <laughs> he's still very mechanical <laughs> in his movement oh man so yeah i guess like for whatever it's worth this episode did a lot with its sort of like connections and i mean i mean obviously i am not mentioning all of them there's so many more pieces that i'm sure i'm missing um but those are just some of the canon pieces that that really got my attention this time around and for whatever reason I, i'm feeling a lot more open to what lower decks is dishing and maybe it's just the way they put these last episodes together. Um, I think the finale really plays itself well into everything. I feel like they didn't give away a lot, even in the last episode, um, without feeling... And I, I hate to put the this out there, but to some degree I find, and this happened a lot with The Next Generation, those kind of higher concept episodes or even seasons where things kind of tumble quickly to the end because they've spent too much time mm. building it up. I was a little worried that was going to happen and it would start in this episode. But I mean, even some of the scientific things that wouldn't happen, like raining glass, uh, you wouldn't be able to breathe an atmosphere that rained glass, but um, that's okay. Um, That conversation that um, um, Beckett has with the Klingon, whose name I'm guessing you'll remember, Dan. Ma'a. Ma'a. There we are. I think it's really great that they're able to have these sort of tropey moments where we can see the character developing, but it's in a way that's interesting, I guess. It's a way that's uh, mm-hmm. relatable, maybe in some ways that... Like, I know I can procrastinate and do things and not, not, not meet what I want and run away from my troubles. I do it in my way, but it was neat to see how Beckett does it. Yeah. And I mean, that conversation in the cave there with that character, really the heart and soul of this episode and a true turning point for the character of Mariner, where she maybe admits to herself and admits to this basically complete stranger what it is that's been eating away at her this whole time and she's maybe deep down in her heart known that but she's not confronted it yet and really kind of picked it apart and it takes this uh klingon warrior to kind of do that with her basically a a klingon counselor we've seen a klingon counselor now which is amazing (laughs) and you know like like he says she does war with herself and yeah she rails against starfleet and what it's become fighting wars and that kind of thing and he says you must really hate starfleet and she's like well no i don't i but you know they can they do this crap but they still try to do good and what we're seeing here is this this jaded mariner who's really been hurt over the years and that tying her story to cedo Jax's and what her death did to mariner I thought was really fascinating as well. Speaking of characters who were taken by Cardassians, presumed dead, we know Thomas Riker is still out there. Maybe Cedo Jaxa still is. I think they're going to keep her dead. I hope. I I think so too. I, I was actually, this is why I'm not a writer, because I'd be like, oh man, 
yeah, let's bring her back. Let's totally bring her back. I would totally gut the effect that episode has on people watching The Next Generation and the character of Mariner. I would totally destroy all that because I really like that character and want her back. So I'm not a Hollywood writer, and it, that's a good thing. <laughs> well, I guess so, right? Um, I, I can't necessarily say I'd make the best choices here and there as much either. There's an irreverence to this show that has sort of carried its way through. And I've kind of talked before in episodes about how this could get too self-referential, almost to a fault. And that was kind of a worry that I had. And again... Mike Mike McCann and and company have managed to read into that with with me as a person who enjoys Star Trek by the way of Starfleet shows up throws their weight around like Starfleet does in the Starfleet way and nobody takes them seriously and that's of course to teach them a lesson that Starfleet isn't as important ha fooled you no we know you think that of us and we're going to use it against you <laughs> um I really liked that twist on a twist that um I wasn't I wasn't expecting I think that's it is a lot of the things that I was predicting throughout and I'm not a writer either um I didn't predict and I think maybe that's one thing I like about lower decks and how they've run this is they haven't done anything predictable but at the same time it hasn't felt untrekky yeah challenge your preconceptions or, or they'll challenge you i think was a lesson from enterprise but it's a lesson that the writers of lower decks seem to be or, or the watchers of lower decks maybe need to take to heart a little bit because i think we all go into something expecting a certain thing and in a lot of ways, Lower Decks feels very familiar. They've put on the trappings of TNG, right? The bright uniforms, the kind of TNG era type ship and stuff. That kind of storytelling we kind of expect. But they do things to kind of shake it up and, and give us surprises and twists sometimes. And uh, Billups is the bounty hunter. Right. Was a nice twist. And I liked this show does things where we think the characters are naive. And we saw that earlier in the season with Tendi, especially in the episode, a few badgies more, I think. Yeah. And in this one, we think, you know, Captain Freeman is saying, I majored in what is it like petty crime at the Academy yeah. or something yeah. like that. And we, we feel like she's kind of full of herself and she's not really, she's very obviously blundering. But no, it's all calculated, and uh, I didn't see that coming. It's sort of a lesson that they learned from uh, the Grand Nagus, perhaps. Absolutely. Yeah, that's another, actually one I watched recently, again, just because I love that episode so much. Captain Freeman is making her a name for herself in Starfleet, mm -hmm. which is something that I'm going to bring up again later, because I, I feel like there's seeds there for things to come. Well, I, I do feel, you know, this is this is definitely a, a really good milestone episode just before the last one. Um, I will actually say probably my least favorite episode would probably have been a few badgies more. And mm -hmm. um, again, maybe jumping to the next episode, um, I do like the reappearance of uh, Gucci. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think I think you know Badgie has seen his his time, and I, maybe we we won't see Badgie again. And I don't think that's necessarily a problem because I think what episodes like this one and the way this season has been pursued, it really does show that there's a lot more places we can go, a lot more things we can explore 
inside of the 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 sort of the boundaries of what Star Trek has created. And this has done a really good job of it. Well, at the end of this episode, I think we get our first actual on-screen to be continued from Lower Decks, if I remember correctly. And uh, we've got Nick Locarno seemingly behind everything here, Mariner confronting him, the crew of the Cerritos finding the evidence linking him to these attacks, and Locarno seemingly thinking Mariner's on his side, which is where we uh, pick up with in the next episode old friends new planets again great title (laughs) and it was a delight um very much just a a fantastic well put together season finale that had a nice um it it's it's climax kind of came a lot earlier there's a lot more denouement or falling action you know that kind of ended Mm -hmm. with that little pop of of you know what's tendy gonna do uh kind of thing but I do, I do again like how you know there's a lot of assumptions about Starfleet that that get kind of unassumed, um, and there's also a couple new takes on a few things, right? Riker throws rocks, um, the Cerritos uh, throws um, Orion ships. Yeah, the uh, the recently newly commissioned USS Battering Ram, basically. Yeah, right. <laughs> Just throw it, <laughs> and I like that. I mean, that was a that was a fun little little piece there. And am I correct that that Tri-lateral shield, or however uh, Locarno says it, that's very the trinar shield. Thank yeah. you, thank you. So, is that the same as the shield that Q put up in Encounter at Farpoint? I don't think so. I think it was uh, an invention of the binars that they were three of them. So oh. there was a trinar shield but okay yeah it looked reminiscent to me for whatever reason i did definitely notice a similarity there i think the colors were very similar i i was wondering if there was kind of a nod to it but yeah it was it was different pattern but similar colors for sure yeah close enough maybe and and that's where i might not be catching all my canon correctly or anything like that so but this was a good episode. It was um, like I've been saying this kind of maybe hinting at it now, but I, I said this once we got on the call is just how well paced the season was. I think this episode was paced well with its kind of slower ending. I also really did appreciate that the bomb defusal device needed two bars of latinum to oh my defuse. Goodness. And he he was turned blown up, I guess you could say, for lack of a better term, basically complaining that the it has a paywall and uh i don't know if that's <laughs> if that's just like you know again another knock at our own our own current civilization because i can't think of really many things without a paywall these days um mm-hmm. but uh that was a good a good little funny and and uh, probably the same thing i'd say if i was just about to get blown up by a ferengi genesis device that was wonderful and and especially the fact that it takes two bars like it's not even slips or strips it's two bars that's expensive like, that was a, a laugh out loud moment for me yeah. right at the climax. That was so well done. Yeah. That was great. Yeah. So I, I'm like you really digging this episode. I thought it had a lot of really interesting things to say about Starfleet and the galaxy at large and, and lower deckers, but also Mariner and how far she's come. The one thing that I really picked up on was the end of last season or close to the end of last season, saw Mariner kicked off the Cerritos because everybody thought she betrayed them and there was a misunderstanding. She didn't actually betray them. She was actually defending the ship and and all this stuff. 
this time around, she's assumed by Locarno to be on his side. But we as the audience, as well as the crew of the Cerritos, never once think that Mariner is going along with this. The episode could have done that kind of cliche thing where it's like a will she, won't she kind of thing. But we understand from the get-go that she's never going to join Locarno. And more importantly, so does the crew of the Cerritos and her mom. Right. Not at any point do they suspect that she might have joined him. They're all like, we've got to get her back. They see her on screen when Locarno's doing his message. She says, this guy sucks. And her mom's just like, "At a girl. We got to go get her. (laughs) Also, that was a good sidekick. Just uh, straight up, just solar plexus kick. Um, and yeah. And then she gets the Genesis <laughs> machine. That was that was pretty great. And yeah, I mean, I do appreciate the fact that we don't have to worry about those unnecessary misunderstandings. That like people can be logical and understand and know people and not suddenly decide that because this has changed, therefore they must have changed as well. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, perhaps the same... The same can be said about when Tendi is gone at the end. Rutherford's sad, but everyone else is just like, I wonder how she'll find her way back. And and basically saying the Orions don't stand a chance. No, exactly. Exactly. They just yeah. have so much confidence in their friend. And I think that's mm-hmm. a really cool, cool piece. Um, Boimler gets to captain a ship and uh, yes. he does have a good captain voice. I do have to say, uh, he, he can brag about it all he wants. Yeah, he really does. The best part about that too was that was his voice. That was, he wasn't, towards the end of the episode, he makes a joke and, and kind of starts talking like Captain Picard yeah. a little bit. But when he was actually in command, that was just Boimler's voice. But you could hear the confidence and the assuredness in it. And importantly, so could his crew, Yeah, right? Everybody he's commanding could hear that voice. It's like, we've got to do this. Wait for it now. You know, like he's just, ah, I was so proud of my little Boimler there. That was awesome. <laughs> um, also, the the argument that is taking place during the, you know, bad guy on the, on the view screen when uh, Boimler and Rutherford are like, he looks like Tom Paris. I don't see it. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I previously said that I think they should never acknowledge it. And that's the funniest thing. I take that back. This was the funniest thing. Yeah. The fact that Boimler has a Tom Paris plate. He's met Tom Paris. He could, he's facing Nick Locarno, who we know looks exactly <laughs> like Tom Paris. And he's like, nah, I, I, I really don't see it. Yeah. <laughs> that's wonderful. It is beautiful, actually. <laughs> we also need to talk a little bit about Talin who has kind of this through line through this episode, her proclamation of Cerrito strong, I think was fun. And the fact that she wants to remain on the Cerritos and be Tendi's science bestie at the end. Very interesting. Yeah. She's really kind of taken a turn here. Followed immediately by Tendi leaving the ship, which I felt kind of like, oh, goodness, you guess you shouldn't have necessarily um, said no to that call. Um, But at the same time, I mean, I'm also very, very confident that that Tendi will find her way back. Yeah, for sure. The gambit to get the Orion warship from her sister using Miglimo as the Cerritos champion. He fluffs. It's gross. And I've seen, I actually, I'm very allergic to that kind of bird fluff myself. So I know how Beth feels. 
the sound effect when he fluffs it's just a chicken squawk i love that Mm -hmm. i love most everything about that part of the episode except for one thing i feel like tendy should have given miglimo a bit of a heads up before the actual fight started because beth gets a couple really good almost blows in there and if she'd have just immediately killed miglimo right off the start that's not good. You shouldn't have to yell across the the fighting area the tactic that's going to possibly win. Uh, maybe pull him aside before the fight and give him a heads up. I would agree. <laughs> he seemed a little out of his element there. And and the fact that Miglimo um, needed clearly needed some convincing to do it as well, uh, mm-hmm. even in the face of of like extreme danger. Yeah. So I agree with you. That is perhaps a little bit of a uh, a bit of an issue, but. Uh, I like their complicating of it as well, where that actually doesn't help because Beth falls on him, uh, therefore winning the fight. (laughs) I thought that was pretty good, too. It gives us that raised stake, and I think that was really good because I I felt like something more had to happen. And considering Tendi was there and knowing that Erica does want her back for her own purposes and stuff like that, I feel like that kind of closed a nice circle within um, this season as well. Yeah, the the callbacks and the the picking up of storylines, I think, has been really strong. And even ones that I completely wasn't expecting, uh, really in really good ways, like with the Orion storyline here, with the Ferengi Genesis device, which was nicely seeded earlier in the season. Mm-hmm. And then the confrontation between Rutherford and Livick, who again is back, Smash cut to the riverboat yeah. and them as the twains. Not my favorite part of the season when it <laughs> happened earlier, but I do have to admit to laughing out loud when it popped up here. Well, and, and I think it has everything to do with with, with how Talyn gives her, her, her explanation for it, right? Sometimes the mm-hmm. illogical tactic will yield logical results. And as a person in education... She's right. She is very right. (laughs) So, yeah, definitely. (laughs) What do you think is the significance of Captain Freeman's override code? I can't remember. Like, I would would almost be certain that our friends in the Star Trek universe have already sleuthed this out by the time you and I are even talking about it. But, yeah, I just remember she – the way she says it, and I'm like, that sounds like a star date. I wonder if it's, like, her birth date or something, but I don't know. 06107.2. If it's a star date, it would calculate out to February 9th, 2329. Could be her, just her date of birth. Uh, Freeman's. Yeah. Cool. Best guess so far. Well, you have the best (laughs) guess now. So going deep on this episode, stuff like that is really fun, right? Like with the sleuthing those things out. The starship that Mariner steals out of the Nova fleet, right? Like I immediately clocked that as a steam yeah. runner class ship, right? One of my, one of my least favorite looks of a, of a Starfleet ship to be perfectly oh. honest. See, I kind of love it. Damn. Now here, here's the digging deep thing though. That's not a steam runner class ship. That is a saber runner class ship, according to the creators of Lower Decks, which takes steam runnership aesthetics and shrinks it down to a saber class size. So I was wondering about that when they were going through the the icy thingy ringy things. Um, And I'm like, are these like full sized ships that they're just bashing and like destroying and like, don't those take more, more of a crew, but yeah, no, you're right. It, 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 I just sort of 
headcanoned it that, oh, steamrunners must be smaller. But yes, if they've managed to reclassify it as something smaller, that makes sense. The only ship <laughs> that can change size, depending on the convenience of it, is the Klingon Bird of Prey. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's kind of the precedent there. Yeah. Um, this is, yeah, they, they, they actually did scale it down with the windows and everything on it to make it a smaller ship apparently. And, uh, yeah, I mistakenly during the live show insisted that it was a steam runner class ship and had everybody inform me otherwise. And, uh, so my apologies to everybody for insisting there, but yeah, no, it is a saber runner class ship and it's the USS Pissarro which was named after Fabio Pissarro, who worked with Eagle Moss doing uh, CG files of ships and uh, converting them into physical models, uh, who sadly recently passed away. So that was kind of a nice tribute. That to is him a nice tribute. Um, just so you know, uh, thank you, Mr. Alex Perry, once again, for getting us that uh, that command code override. But he is also incorrect. He says it's a steam runner as well. So you know mm. what? The best of us can also make that. This is even actually cooler. The registry number is... is um, is Pissarro's, uh, Fabio Pissarro's birthday, May 26, 1970. That is so sweet. That's really cool, yeah. That's lovely. Anyway, warm my, warm, melt my ice heart. So another thing that I really, really enjoyed specifically about this episode of Lower Decks, and maybe I just haven't noticed it, but they used not just their usual kind of cel-shaded graphic for the animation, but there were actually like drawn-in smoke bits and stuff. There was a lot more animating going on that seemed more, obviously it's everything's run through a computer now, but there is looking like some hand-drawn elements um, to some of like the explosions and some of the pieces here mm. and there. There's a lot more fluidity to the movement. I really feel like this was a high production um, episode. So yeah, maybe we could see Prodigy winning this year for an editing. Uh, maybe Lower Decks wins it next year for something like this because I really felt that the production value of this episode specifically, um, it really delivered. There's a lot of texture. There's a lot of movement, fluidity. It doesn't feel choppy. Um, and another piece that I just want to rattle out here in this big piece and that is to anyone who has ever watched the tv show robotech or macross the really original ones with rikaru um and they're still on planet earth and it's got those cool ships and stuff the music from robotech and the music from lower decks are very reminiscent to each other i've been thinking about this for a really long time and some of the flourishes that take place in this finale episode feel almost ripped from the first nine episodes of macross slash robotech depending on what you watched as a kid so yeah and and for anyone who's who's like hey wait a minute yeah um definitely drop a line on the uh the star trek uh positively trek discussion in uh in facebook just so i don't feel alone at least because i'm pretty sure there's got to be some influence there so high pro high production animation very lovely to watch just good eye candy all around and the music was uh, fantastic really enjoyed it yeah this was a really technically beautiful episode and, and i did notice the kind of extra love i think given to some of the animation and stuff one thing that I definitely noticed is that final Genesis explosion, right? Where you have the captain's yacht streaming away in place of the Enterprise. Mm -hmm. The whole thing's obviously a Wrath of Khan homage, the whole Mutara Nebula bit and stuff. Yeah. The actual aftermath of the explosion looks very much like Nick Lacarno's logo, which is the Culverd Starburst, right? Yeah. So, you know, not exactly subtle there, but still just like a really nice little 
visual callback. I thought that was lovely. I like it also. Um, I'm suddenly blanking. Um, the name of the the people who speak only through poetry. Oh, uh, the Temerians. Yes. Yeah. Or if you prefer, the children of Tama. Yes, the children of Tama. <laughs> um, so, um, and what's the, the, the guy who's there when he says something, her, her sails unfurled? Um, Mirab, her, her sails unfurled. Mirab, yeah, her sails unfurled. I really do. I'm getting the feeling like I can almost understand Temerian to some degree. <laughs> I'm getting. <laughs> there <laughs> like there was just the other day i was my one of my stepkids was was gonna do something really awesome and it was looking really good and then all of a sudden they tripped and it was like shaka when the walls fell <laughs> <laughs> i love the the callbacks to ones that we heard in tng right like shaka when the when the walls fell yeah. marab her sails unfurled i love when there's new ones and you kind of have to intuit a little bit more what it might mean. Like, uh, this wasn't the name, but it was something like Replunky on his wedding night. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you're like, what is that referring yeah, to? Yeah. <laughs> Again, though, you know, they've, they've crafted something that definitely picks at all the right nostalgia itches that I have in my brain. Um, at the same time, you know, taking irreverent twists in certain cases that I think is something, again, fit very much to sort of a, a demographic of, of people who maybe have seen a lot of this, you know, this isn't Trek or this is Trek or it's not the same as it was before. And sort of those old usual, I guess, you know, tropes that kind of last throughout Star Trek them. I feel like this is something that if you start realizing you don't have to take it seriously, you can really enjoy it. And the best part about it is Lower Decks has through this season has not taken itself seriously until it very appropriately takes itself seriously. And I think that mm. that's a, a writing technique that works really well. Um, perhaps my for my my demographic specifically, and and for a number of others who like Star Trek, but overall as a season where would you say this feels just coming out of it we've we've been at the end of a lot of star trek seasons now where are you putting this one and i don't really like ranking i feel like there's other podcasts that can rank and they do a very good job of ranking but for lack of a better term could you rank this in terms of how you're feeling just walking out of out of this season of lower decks well i mean there's there's a little bit of the uh, new trek energy coming out of it as well and the recency bias and stuff like that. But I, I genuinely really enjoyed this season. I don't think there was an episode I disliked in this season. And that hasn't been the case, I think for any season of Star Trek ever <laughs> for me, really. Like I, I have a least favorite episode of the season, but it's not one that I dislike, you know? And I think, cohesively this season has really held together especially in retrospect going back and watching some of the stuff knowing who that attacker is and what their end game is i think really helps pull this season together on a rewatch as well so uh i loved it again i i'm like you i don't like ranking i don't necessarily say it's the best ever or anything like that but it's a really solid season of star trek and this episode in particular this finale you know, if people want to talk about what 
Star Trek's message is and what it means to be in Starfleet. Note that Mariner never fires a shot at another ship or another person at any point, whether personally or using ship's weapons or anything like that. She attempts to negotiate at every turn. When the time comes at the end of the episode, she tries her best to save Nick Locarno from himself, ultimately failing, but she tried her best she did her best which was the message of what starfleet is it doesn't always succeed but it tries its best every time that's extremely well said my friend i uh i have trouble following up other than saying you're absolutely right um <laughs> thank you for that and in and in kind of placing yourself you know in that you know this has just happened recency bias and whatnot i would say very much that this is some Trek that I I have to say I have just sort of casually rewatched on my own. Usually I like to watch my my usual Deep Space Nine little little trench of episodes that I can just watch, and then a couple of TNG ones when I'm feeling down and stuff like that. But I haven't done like a a lot of just casual watching for myself for any really TV show recently. It's just been busy. There's been a lot happening, but um, no, I did catch a couple of the episodes here twice and sometimes just kind of let it play while I was doing other things and I think that's what I like about this is it takes you down a lot of the same paths that old trek old trek episodes from you know the most recent you know ones that have come out to some of the oldest ones in the 60s they're not treading in any new space necessarily um pun intended it's just I think they've they found a new way to approach a lot of things and with that new approach we're finding new ways to to, to kind of rediscover some some aspects aspects of of the great star trek tropes of you know starfleet doesn't fire first right we're we're diplomatic we're all of these things that make starfleet starfleet but we're also the failings that you know deep space nine was able to kind of finally pry open maybe tng if we're gonna if we're gonna argue about that uh, but they've done it in a way that i think really does match the the outlook of a lot of people in Trek right now where I don't really necessarily keep up with any of the drama. And honestly, I don't really know much about it anymore or if, even if it's happening because I've just eliminated myself from it. But in terms of accessibility, rewatchability, and if someone just walked in on this episode uh, and maybe this is a bias on my end, of course it is. Um, I feel like someone could sit down and watch this and find it interesting. They might not get all the aliens or all the bu- weird buzzy jokes and, and, and stuff like that, but I don't know. It's a, I feel like this is a good place to start, and I feel like this is a really good window into Star Trek for a lot of people. Whereas I would say some of the new Trek might not be as much. Um, not in a bad way. I'm just saying this feels accessible um, there's a lot of dimensions to it where you're you're dyed in the wool Trek fans who can quote a lot and know a lot and have that kind of deeper lexicon of Trek knowledge. They'll be satisfied, whereas someone who's just passively watching while they're folding laundry will also enjoy it, too. So this is kind of lightning in a bottle. Uh, I'm going to kind of finish my, my point off with and. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they do next, right? Are we going to get another crazy high concept episode? Uh, I, I, I'm almost ready for one. Give me a crazy high concept episode on how Tendi gets back. Maybe that'd be interesting. Definitely. Well, something you said there just really tickled me a little bit. I love the idea of somebody watching this and it bringing them to Star Trek and maybe they decide to pick up some of the other shows later and, you know, they eventually watch the first season of TNG and they go, Hey, the Bionars, those were those guys that helped out that Nick Locarno guy in that episode. Mm -hmm. And then their minds will get really blown when they get to season five and meet Nick Locarno in the first duty. But anyway, (laughs) uh, 
I think that'll be that would be a lot of fun. I'd love to see Star Trek from that perspective somehow. <laughs> well, and and there is that that option, right? In the sense that I don't think this franchise is necessarily going anywhere. We are now sort of entering into a world of franchise wars. It seems where these big franchise kind of eke out their their little fandoms and try to do cool and fun things for their fandoms this has been a really cool and fun thing that uh, our our franchise has done for us in in some ways and i don't necessarily want to look at it so sort of stale um that it's just a franchise trying to make money or, or anything like that or gain a following or something I do think that these writers, for love of all of the other writers of all of the other versions of Trek that we've seen recently, I really feel like these writers wrote for us as well. Mm -hmm. Like they really (laughs) did have like our demographic in mind. And when I say our demographic, I mean people who are sort of in that sort of floaty 40 year old to 50 to 30, somewhere in there. You watched Trek as a kid. You've liked Trek for a long time. You've enjoyed most of what New Trek has brought, but maybe it hasn't hit every single note. This one hit every note for me. And, you Mm -hmm. know, maybe it didn't for everybody, but Next to Star Trek Prodigy, this this has got to be a, a Star Trek that I want to see seven full seasons of. Yeah, here, here. Well, let's talk about what that future might look like then. So we've got, in my opinion, kind of a new chapter for Lower Decks here. Things are changing a little bit. When Mike McMahon first outlined the series, he said it was the least important crew members on the least important ship in Starfleet. And now they're, they've all ranked up a little bit. They're Lieutenant Junior grades. The sky's really the limit at this point. And the Cerritos has been involved in some pretty high profile stuff with this Nick Locarno incident, with being on hand for the first steps to bringing the Ferengi into the Federation. And I feel like there's something going on with Captain Freeman as far as uh, her prominence in Starfleet a little bit. She's gotten a bit of recognition. The Admiral was going to relay how effective she was during the Ferengi negotiations. And now in this most recent episode, they said the top brass is very impressed with how she handled things. And they managed to do all of this without firing a shot and all that sort of stuff. So Uh, I put this in maybe strong terms here, and I don't actually believe this, but going forward, is this a betrayal of the core idea of this series? This is no longer the least important ship in Starfleet, and I think they're no longer the least important crew members. Spoiler alert, I don't think it's a betrayal. I think it's one of the coolest things a series can do. My favorite thing about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, for example, is you cannot take any single one of those characters from season one and plant them into season seven and have it make sense or vice versa. Those characters have changed and grown over the course of those seven years. And Deep Space Nine was a lonely outpost out on the frontier and the edge of the galaxy, they said. And by the end, it's the center of most of the political happenings in the in the Alpha Quadrant and a, a hub for science exploration and warfare. Like, it's not that lonely outpost anymore. And I feel like the Cerritos is kind of becoming that same thing where it's no longer the least important ship in Starfleet. It's making a name for itself 
to the point that crews of other California class ships we've seen say, oh, you're the Cerritos. You're the like crown jewel of the California fleet. To answer my, my, my own question, I guess, <laughs> I don't think it's a betrayal. I think it's awesome. Uh, and I really can't wait to see where they go with that. I'd like to think of when they came up with that premise of like, this is your starting point, right? This is mm-hmm. the starting premise that will build from there. And I think one of the only TV shows that could ever successfully bring things back to its relative self is the Simpsons. And look what that's done for it, right? 39,000 seasons at this point. And I don't know, like, I don't want to poop on people who like watching that show. Like if it's something you like, great, that's awesome. It doesn't do anything for me now because it is just so, I think someone on YouTube somewhere referred to it, uh, anything after season 12, I think they call zombie Simpsons, where it's become so self-referential to its, to its central premise that it's, it's, it's kind of become meaningless pablum. And I think that's where I've been worried all the way through this is that eventually this is the, you know, the, the, the spark's going to run out and we're just going to kind of float around in self-referential semi Rick and Morty humor. And I like it when I'm wrong because I was dead wrong in the sense that, yeah, like this is a starting premise that they build themselves from. And of course we're going to see characters change and grow because that's what humans do. That's what we do. Um, you know, since even the beginning of, of star of new Trek, right? Think about how much the world has changed um, in that time. Why on earth would we want something exactly the same? And I think that's something that we need to look at as, you know, or maybe not we, me, I need to look at as, as a person who likes Star Trek. What do I like about Star Trek? I always go back to the same episodes. Those episodes make me feel good, right? Well, this is making me feel good because there's enough connective tissue to the nostalgia I crave with an actually new and interesting story. And I argue that at this point, the fact that they could get Cito Jax's actor to come back. Yes. I looked. I don't think she's been in anything since since her last appearance on like Star Trek even. Like I don't know, like she didn't do a heck of a lot. I mean, I'm I hope she's had a great time and has had a good life. <laughs> and it's great that she came back because apparently if you know, we can just animate you in, don't worry about it, right? Like as much as it's cool that like Will Wheaton came back and everything like that, it is a little bit cool that we were cuz I I recognized her voice immediately once I heard it. I was mm-hmm. like, "Oh, that's uh, and I'm freaking, I don't have her name off the top of my head." Um Shannon Phil. Shannon Phil, right? So I think that's interesting that that they were able to get her back for this. And, you know, I hope they paid her handsomely. And I hope she comes back uh, somehow in some kind of other flashback. Because if she's someone who um, Mariner kind of fangirled over, um, that's interesting. And I think that could be something to pursue as well. A little more of Mariner's past, um, though we've done a really good, like, character deep dive on her, right? Now I think we can move on to another character. For instance, moving forward... When when Tendi said goodbye to everybody, the only one she made any any motion toward was Rutherford. She literally jumped on him. And I mean, I do actually have to say uh, those two need to kiss. Yeah, I don't know. I, I did see I think it was Mike McMahon talking about the evolution of their characters and the the dynamic between the two of them is something that I love and clearly something that Mike McMahon loves as well. Uh, and I, I don't think he's too keen to disrupt that. And it kind of almost felt like they're toying with that in Parth Ferengi's heart place mm-hmm. was his way of, of saying, no, it's a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> 
these these two obviously belong together, but we can't do it. Like we're not gonna do it. Yeah. Which uh, makes me a little bit sad, but I kind of get it as well. It's a junior high thing. It 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 takes me back to like my junior high crush, who, mm-hmm. in hindsight, and actually after a hats off conversation somewhere in our mid twenties, where you know she was happily married and everything else was like, yeah, no, I totally had a crush on you too at that exact same time, and I didn't know what to do with myself. I just liked being around you, and I was like, yeah, me too. And it was like, huh, well. That's cool. And then we just moved on and and still are good friends and stuff like that. But it is that idea of like, for myself, seeing that as like, oh, come on, you two, you'd be so happy together. And don't we want our characters to be happy? Yeah, absolutely. So Shannon Phil, interestingly, I, I looked up and she was listed as, you know, years active in acting 1992 to 1995. So four years of acting and that's it. Now this just warmed my heart because I went back to that Wikipedia page now and now it says years active 1992 to 1995 semicolon 2023. And that just makes me happy. That's so lovely. (laughs) I hope she can make it to a convention. I'd I'd love to get I'd love to get a photo op with Shannon Phil. That'd be awesome. That is something that uh, one of the producers of Lower Decks has said. It's like now I need to convince her to go to one of these conventions. People would love to see her. So oh, yeah, yeah. We'd be like absolutely. out of the way, John. <laughs> out of the way, <laughs> Sir Pat. <laughs> I have your photo. I have your autograph. Yeah. I need to meet Cito Jackson. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not even joking. That's true. <laughs> I would, I honestly, I would shell out for a photo op too. And I would have a sign that says Cito lives. Here, here. Uh, so yeah, it should be noted as well. We get to hear Cadet Joshua Albert speak for the first time. We see him on screen. Oh, yeah. He sadly passed away the character before the actual episode. We never actually got to meet him. That was kind of a nice little touch. Mm. And Will Wheaton back as Wesley Crusher. Let's give him a shout out because that was lovely too. Oh yeah, no, it's it's great to see Will Wheaton. Um, I think he's a, a an interesting addition at the time, right? Everyone wanted kid actors in TNG. I don't know. I'm glad that that he is a loved member of uh, TNG because I remember way back in the day there was so much controversy and frustration over him. And honestly, I think he did a fine job. And I love the Traveler, and I'll always love the Traveler. And everyone can hate me for it, and I don't care. Well, I guess uh, that's probably a good place to wrap off our discussion of Lower Deck Season 4. Really looking forward, of course, to Season 5 whenever we see that. As far as new Star Trek goes, the next thing we're going to get in 2024 is either uh, Star Trek Discovery's fifth and final season or the uh, Season 2 of Star Trek Prodigy on Netflix whenever that comes along and knowing Netflix probably all dumped on the same day, which makes me a little sad. And I hope that's not the case, but that's, uh, those are the next treks that we'll be getting that are new. That's a long, uh, long go. And I don't want to sound like I'm complaining. We've, we've dealt with worse as uh, mm-hmm. Star Trek fans. Um, but, um, I guess that leaves us to, um, talk about some new and, in- and exciting things moving forward. Um, One thing I definitely want to do, Dan, for us uh, on this show is to do a nice and solid rewatch of the first season of Star Trek Prodigy, um, if we can get that if we can get that going and maybe dive a little deeper into some of the pieces, because I think that um, though we gave it an honorable treatment when we did in hindsight, I would like to talk about more. And I think there's more to talk about. 
Well, we'll definitely be getting that uh, reportedly sometime this year mm-hmm. on Netflix. Uh, we, of course, already have our shiny Blu-rays, but we, like good little Star Trek fans, are going to be streaming it often yeah. on Netflix to show them how beloved that series is and how grateful we are <laughs> that they uh, they are going to be showing it. So, uh, yeah, go stream it, people, once it's out. It's supposed to be this year sometime. We don't have a date yet, but... Uh, Season one, go watch it again. It's going to happen. And again. (laughs) Play it while you're vacuuming. Well, uh, this was a great discussion. I love every time we talk Trek. Lower Decks just has such a special place in my heart. So please, everybody, join us on the Positively Trek discussion group on Facebook. Just search Positively Trek discussion group. Answer a few questions. We'll let you right in. You can reach out to us, PositivelyTrek at gmail.com. And you can help support the podcast at patreon.com slash PositivelyTrek. Thank you all so much for listening. We will be back soon with another episode. Until then, as always, stay positive. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.